Welcome back, listener, to the Modern History HSC Podcast, your personal guide to understanding the modern world around us. Welcome back, listeners, to the Modern History HSC Podcast. In this episode, we're continuing with looking at the core uh, unit, which is the power and authority topic, the rise of the Nazis, and we're towards the end of the syllabus in looking at now the Nazis are in power, it's post-1934, and how is the Nazi ideology and Nazification of Germany affecting different groups? So what we've done is the class is split up into different little chunks, different little groups, and starting off, we're going to have Darcy looking at the effect that Nazification had on the Jews. How are you going, Darcy? I'm good. How are you, sir? Yep, really good. So Darcy is going to follow... Uh, a path that is going to be the same for everybody's everybody's group, which is he's going to do a Dammit analysis of a primary source, look at a secondary source, and then give a final takeaway on what are the things that he thinks um, most greatly affected that group under the Nazi regime. So take it away, Darcy. So my primary source was the Nuremberg Law Chart. Um, so this chart consisted of uh, five columns that would basically describe whether you are a Aryan German, Jew, or mixed race. Um, so these laws were published in the autumn of 1935, and the Nazi regime called it the Nuremberg Law, and it um, further highlighted the inequities against Jews in Germany. Uh, it consists of multiple anti-Semitic laws, so such as Jews lost full citizenship, full Germans were entitled, um, white the white circles on the chart would represent Aryan Germans and the black circles represent Jews and partially shaded circles would represent the mixed race. And yet the chart would um, help identify whether you were a Jew or full German. Um, the Nazis enacted this Nuremberg law because they wanted to put a false theory um, of inferior and superior races into law. So according to the Nazis, Jews belonged to a separate race, which was inferior to Germans. Um, and they believed they had to like separate them um, separate the Jews from other Germans to protect the strength of Germany. So yet yeah, this um, chart acted as a guide to like, distinguish between Jews and Aryan Germans and mixed race. Like a passport. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this chart was um, made for the entire German population to see if they were Aryan Germans or Jews or a mix of. Um, but it also was there for government officials to tighten the laws for different people due to their race as well. Um, the tone of the source was very strict and severe, as these conditions were very uh, harsh and were not to be laughed at um, in the face of Germans. But yeah, that's my first source. Yep, and our secondary source. So what have some people taken away from stuff like that? So yeah, my secondary source is a article titled The Holocaust in Germany. And do you want me to read it? Or? Yeah, yeah, we'll give us a little bit of a taste of it. Yep, so this is just a little snippet. It says, overall of the 522,000 Jews living in Germany in January 1933, approximately 304,000 immigrated during the first six years of Nazi rule, and about 214 were left on the eve of World War II. Of these, 160,000 to 180,000 were killed as part of the Holocaust. So this article was written on October 1st, 2012. However, it was originally retrieved um, in 2017 from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, DC. Um, it's the article incites the readers on the struggles Jews faced in Germany. Um, as mentioned before, 180,000 were killed as part of the Holocaust. 
um, and the Jews that did remain in Germany went into hiding. Um, it also further in the article highlights the submerged love and experiences that they had with um, the struggles to find food, um, struggles to find secure hiding, and the fact that they needed false like ID papers um, to avoid the police and you know their inequities. So yeah, this article I guess further highlights that Nuremberg law of the laws that were in place. Um, the purpose of this article was to pay homage to the Jewish people and their ancestors who suffered um, and their families. It is also used to educate many on the problems that occurs from dictatorships and the dangers and repercussions of the world war. And the intended audience of this article is all the people willing to learn and feel empathetic to a group who faced racial genocide. And the tone is informative as the main goal is to educate people on the Jews effect in Nazi Germany. Rightio. So what do you, what do you have for us in terms of the key takeaways for the Jewish population living in Germany under the rule of the Nazis, what was it like? Well, with the primary source, we see that um, many problems that the Jews faced during the 30s, we see their effect on the Nazi government. Uh, we see the effect that the Nazi government had and how they forced Jews to live within a hiding and develop false um, ID papers to avoid officials. And it's further, um, I guess, emphasised with that secondary source, the article, because it um, yeah, highlights how the government really affected Jews, the genocide, the lack of food, the submerged life that they had to face. And, yeah, again, their further need for false ID papers. Right. So, yeah, they're alienated, persecuted in their own country. Yeah. Rightio. Thank you for that, Darcy. And next we'll be moving on to PJ. Hello, everybody. The um, group I'm looking at is the German Social Democratic Party. Um, so the main, the first primary source that I'm, or the primary source that I'm looking at is a propaganda poster made by them um, on the 1st of January of 1932. And it's this mainly red poster, and it's got a crown, a Nazi symbol, and the communist hammer and sickle um, sort of going down. And they've got a fist holding an arrow to each one, sort of as like a, like, we are attacking them. And it's got a bunch of words in German, but what I can sort of figure out is Social Democratic Party. Um, the motivation seems to sort of be like, these are enemies. So the crown represents the conservatives, the Nazis, obviously, and the communists. Um, and it's to sort of boost the morale of the current members and potentially sort of bring in other members that are already opposed by these um, groups. So it's sort of an uplifting and liberating sort of piece and just shows that they've got enemies, like a lot of enemies in the political spectrum. Um, the secondary source I've got is about Julius Leber, who was a member of this group. And um, so it's a little um, snippet of a blog, and it says, Leber was arrested, imprisoned for 20 months, then sent to Esterwegen and another German word, um, which are both concentration camps. Um, in 1937, he was released and then became involved in the resistance against the Nazis. So this shows that, like, the um, during um, the Nazis, like, when Hitler sort of was taking all this power, um, that he could... Like, he had total power over his enemies, so he was getting rid of all these political parties, and the individuals themselves were punished and had to sort of make their own res resistance. So it shows the strong punishment that his enemies faced. So the um, primary source just sort of shows that the SPD had lots of enemies during sort of the 30s, and then into, like, Hitler's reign and his, like, um, siege for power, he was able to just start eliminating 
the power that his enemies had and made them resort to resistances rather than their own political standpoints. So it really just highlights the, um, like Hitler's direct power and how his enemies sort of suffered from it, I guess. Excellent. Thank you very much, PJ. All good. Next person that we're going to be hearing from is Felix speaking about another resistance group, the White Rose. Hello. Uh, the, so the White Rose is a student activist group in Germany. Um, they're active around the time of Hitler's rise to power, so around 1933-ish and a little bit before that. Um, basically what they did was they got a bunch of pamphlets and stuff and posters and letters and they sent them all over like student areas, campuses and just basically everywhere trying to get people to revolt or like trying to gain traction for a revolution and inspire like a rage against Hitler and his like oppressive state at the moment, at the time. Um, yeah, so basically what happened to them was they all got executed. <laughs> so my first primary source is a uh, pamphlet from like from the White Rose and it was like, it was produced at ni 1942 to 1943. That's when like, it was found, not when it was made, because they couldn't find a date for when it was made. Anyway, yep. the author is the White Rose. Uh, it's a pamphlet, and the motive was to spread the White Lotus's agenda of anti-repression and stuff, and it was directed at German students. Um, so basically, I'll read out an extract for them from the thing so you guys can get a feel about what they were about. Fellow students, shaking our people faces the downfall of our men of Stalingrad. That was when um, I think Germany was versing Russia. Yeah, the, the time. Soviets. Yep. Yeah, uh, 330,000 German men have been senselessly and irresponsibly rushed into their death and ruin by the brilliant strategy of the man who served as a private in the in the Great War. That's a reference to World War One. Führer, we thank you. It is festering in the German people. Do we want to continue entrusting the fate of our armies to our Delente? Do we want to sacrifice the rest of our young Germans to the base power-seeking instincts of a piety cliche? Nevermore. So basically what that source is saying is that it's... It's very anti-Hitler and anti-Nazi party and anti-fascism, I guess. And there's a lot more to that source, but that's just a brief extract. Yeah, they're definitely like throwing shade at him. It's just yeah. like, you don't have any, exper any experience. It's leading us to ruin. You know, like, yeah. People have got to wake up, that sort of stuff. Also, I was wrong earlier. It was 1933, but it was obviously a, a bit after that as well. It's 19, like when they went against Stalingrad. Yeah. Um, my secondary source is by George J. Winstein. Uh, I think he was the only surviving member of the White Rose. Um, so basically, what this source, it's a, it's part of his book. So it's called Memories of the White Rose, and that was made in 1997. Uh, and it's to educate people about like the effects of Nazi rule on German citizens. Um, so I'll read out an extract of that. Uh, the government, or rather the party, controlled everything. The news, media, arms, police, and the armed forces. The judiciary system, communications, travel, all levels of education from kindergarten to universities, all cultural and religious institutions. Political indoctrination started at a very early age and continued by means of the Hitler Youth, with the ultimate goal of complete mind control. Children were exhorted in school to denounce even their own parents for derogatory remarks about Hitler or Nazi ideology. So basically, this source gives a glimpse into kind of the like the socialization implements and tools that Nazi Germany used to get their citizens to conform and to be indoctrinated into Nazi ideology. Um, but yeah, that was my secondary source. Yep. And then the conclusion is, so the White Lotus was a student activist group that had been persecuted by Nazis for 
protesting their like the oppressive rule and stuff like that and their their censorship for media and all of that like they went against pretty much the, what i'm saying they went against nazi ideology and tried to uh, enact reform and stuff so basically what happened to them is they were all executed by the guy that wrote that memories of the white rose so yeah um honorable mention uh the main um person was Sophie Skull. She was the main leader of the group, I guess. And there was Hans Skull and Christopher Probst. Those were the, all the ones that were executed that I could find. Yeah, yeah the brother and sister yeah. combo. Yeah. But yeah. And it's just like interesting when you layer on those two sources together, then the secondary source you're talking about, all these kids are being heavily, heavily indoctrinated yeah. with the fear of like violence and repercussions. And then these kids, like Sophie and Hans, when they're then going off to university and they've been through the Hitler Youth and and the, the League for German Girls, and it hasn't worked on them. That it's just it's not a blanket that we apply to everybody. Yeah, they but, obviously saw saw through it or chose not to conform to that. So yeah, I guess it's a really good thing, really powerful. Yeah, something to keep in mind, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Rightio. Well, thank you, Felix. Thank you, sir. And we're going to move on to our next person, which is Will, talking about the uh, Hitler Youth. Hey, everyone. It's Will here. Um, today, I'll be talking about um, the Hitler Youth Group and uh, what, what were their effects by uh, the Nazi Party and Hitler himself. A uh, bit of a backstory. Uh, the Hitler, group, Hitler Youth Group was an organisation created by the Nazi Party in Germany. Uh, the people selected, these were people selected, the people selected were young boys ages of 10 to 18. Uh, they were taken from uh, schools like primary schools um, to do their own education and training. Uh, they were, so they were, they had the basic education, but not like some really helpful um not like a classical education no they've just, been taken just off. the basics yeah it's like you know how to read and write now come with us and we'll teach you everything else yeah yeah um uh what they did were they they sent these boys um well it was created because so they were created to break up church youth groups and spy on um religious classes and bible studies Hmm, that's really interesting. I hadn't heard that before. But they, the church is a resistance group, so it's like we've got to have a competitor. Yeah, yeah. keep going. This is interesting. Um, and that's all I had for that part um, so far. Uh, the activities they mostly did was they did stuff like just typical Boy Scouts uh, from camping, hunting, fishing to more extreme stuff like showing them how to shoot, one-on-one uh, -on -one combat to secure dominance or to like eliminate um just the general soldiers to who should be our uh, our rising leaders for the future mm. um what was uh... maybe we could jump into your first source so your primary source where you started to get a lot of these ideas from yeah uh so my primary source was a it was it's a poster dated back to july to august 1935 it's a um, picture of a young man dressed up in his uh, brown uh, suit uh, shaking hands with a older leader um, this uh, the motivation behind it um, shows a cause to young men this is an honor 
and um, you should join because you're representing the country itself and you could lead the country one day. Um, the intended audience for this was directed towards young German men to encourage them to join the Hitler Youth Group. Uh, there was also um, written in G uh, German some some words. Uh, there was one that um, uh, translates to German warhouse, uh, which could be something to fear. So they got the um, they have the um, the training, the proper training. So they're not going easy on these men to um, show that these countries that it's not going to be easy to compete against us. Mm. And um, there was another one, uh, which just meant uh, world meet the Hitler youth, which uh, which says that this is our new group, which they are strong, passionate representatives of our country, and which also shows the fear um, not to mess with them. And uh, the tone for that was proud, honourable to their country, showing fear. Excellent. What about our secondary source that you have? The secondary source I found was a book that dated back to 2005. Uh, it is called Growing Up in Hitler's Shadow. So it talks about um, what the boys uh, did with the activities, uh, what Hitler got them to do, which was spying on the Bible, Bible groups and that. Um, the author of this is Susan Campbell. Uh, the last name is a bit um, Bartoletti. Um, yeah. The motive for this reflect on the growing generation of young men at this time, the intended audience, people globally interested in this significant part of the history. Uh, so you could be a high school student now if you're keen to read it or s someone who's just interested, I guess. And the tone for this was informative, informative just showing information of what happened. Uh, my conclusion for this was um, that I had both for and against opinions of this. Uh, for, this is an honourable time for the boys to prove themselves, to honour their country, and from transforming from boys to young men. Uh, and then for against is just the basic education, uh, not being able to be kids. They have to grow up very quickly to um, represent their country. So... Uh, just not being able to be a child for that long. Yeah, absolutely. A very serious environment. And I love how you've given it a for and against that, like not all these groups that we're looking at like a complete negative because the Nazis obviously had support that the Nazi youth boys, like they would have gone through the depression. They would have seen no stable government in their lifetime or if they had seen, they would have seen the end of like the Kaiser so to have this new group come along that you've described, which is thrusting upon them this massive responsibility, that's probably what some people really wanted. And some boys were like, yep, that's my only future and I need to get a hold of that, which you have said. Rightio. Thank you, Will. Thank you. Next, we're going to be speaking to Taj and we're going to be seeing how the Nazis affected the women. Hello, this is Taj Owen. I'm going to talk about women within the Third Reich my first source, which is primary, is Neues Volk, which is New People in English. The illustration was the cover of uh, Neues Volk, the, pub the publication of the 
Office of Racial Policy in Nazi Germany in September 1937, portrays motherhood with this ideal image of an Aryan mother providing for her child. The piece is earnest in tone and intends to elicit thoughts of traditional German motherhood and in addition to associating these positive ideas with Nazism. My second source is a tertiary source. The Holocaust Encyclopedia is a digital American compilation of information on living conditions within Nazi Germany, including a page on the treatment of women within the regime. Of important note is, quote, of the estimated 40 million German women in the Reich, some 13 million were active in Nazi party organization. For promotion of childbearing and raising through state-enforced doctrines with the SS Marriage Order of 1932, and the 1936 Liebensborn, of life in English, audience. The latter, the latter prohibited the marriage of undesirables, and the former encouraged SS members to have children. Conclusion. Based on the primary and tertiary evidence, one can determine the following. The Nazi regime aimed, like with all other segments of society, to incorporate women under the state and to reappropriate them into contribution to Nazi ambitions of racial purity, imperial conquest, and global war. Whether as substitutes to male occupations in times of scarcity or replenishers of German ranks, women were a crucial resource of the Third Reich, particularly within the bands of the home front. Thank you. It was interesting. I was also going to say that the way that you were... Well, the information that you got from the sources really did sound like that the Nazis view women as a resource. Yes. Not so much like on the same citizens as, as male. It's still a very male-dominated society. Would you agree? Yes, they promote that a lot, although they do end up uh, having them replace a lot of male occupations during scarcity. Yeah, like even towards the very end of the war when they're getting so desperate for people to fight they're going to form some <coughs> um some like female battalions or some smaller fighting groups for that final for that final last stand before hitler commits suicide um if we can go back to where you, to your secondary source where you were saying that they were discouraging um uh, marriage for undesirables who fits into that undesirable category well Nazi like ideas of undesirables was not that very solidified and they were still kind of determining who exactly was Aryan and who could marry Aryans. Like, I think they read that they weren't sure about like Hungarians. So like that was like an awkward thing when they were allies to Hungary and they didn't even know if Hungarians could marry Germans. <laughs> uh, I think it doesn't include Italians because apparently the Italians breeded with Africans so therefore they don't count. <laughs> They're excluded. Yeah, I think it was like they sit around like Scandinavia and they're like, Germany is more like Norsk or whatever, so that makes us more Aryan. The British are also kind of Norsk because they got like conquered by them. Yeah. And then everything like slurring out that is slightly, you know, not Aryan and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting because what I thought you were going to say was, you know, the undesirables are the Jews and these people that they're attacking, but like even on like a white European basis, they're just like, <laughs> like they would have been sitting around, around some desks trying to sort out, you know, do we include the Italians? Do we include the Hungarians? Like, with, like, pictures and it's all very, um, all very, like, pseudoscience-y, but also, yeah. like, very random. Like, like you said, like, they hadn't really worked it out yet. And it was also, like, they thought the Russians were, like, mongoloids and, like, 
they thought they were very much like Asian. They weren't. Euro- they didn't think they were European. Yeah, coming from like the Asian continent. So it was like, oh, stuff. they need to push them back from behind the Urals or whatever, so that Europe can be European. Yeah. Well, very good. That was very interesting, Taj. Um, thank you very much. And we are now going to look at our last group, which is Ethan and the Catholic Church. Hey, it's Ethan. Um, I did my presentation on the Nazis' effect of the Catholic Church on the Catholic Church. My primary source is a sermon, the third sermon of Bishop von Gallen. Um, he speaks of uh, the Euthanasia Acts during 1941 um, of August. Um, his full name is Clemens August Graf von Gallen, and his motive is to stop the Nazi practice of euthanasia. Delivered in a sermon, his intended audience is the German public or his beloved brethren. As he, so, as he said, and he delivers this in a plaintive but also angry tone. Okay. My secondary source was a Wikipedia article called The Catholic Church and Nazi Germany. Um, it was last edited on the 30th of October and speaks of involuntary euthanasia acts, more about von Gallen, Article 24, um, how they acted towards the regime, who key, key religious figures around at the time were, and politic, political Catholicism. Um, to conclude, we have German... Ca- wait, no, that's wrong. In conclusion, the Nazi regime wanted to dis- de-Christianize Germany, the, yeah, Germany and the Catholic Church by what I said just then. About uh, Article Twenty Four and key religious figures taking them down if they wanted, and the euthanasia acts. And that's it. Right. Yeah. We should get a little bit more into these euthanasia acts. Yeah. So, as I understand it, the particular issues that the church had around euthanasia was that when the Nazis were coming in with these ideas of racial purity and there being these separate classes in society is that if you had a Jewish person with their Jewish passport go to the hospital and say they had cancer or say they had some really serious cut to their leg or whatever and they needed they wouldn't costly, costly surgery. Yeah, they wouldn't they wouldn't help them. Yeah. That the laws that would be passed through, which is that uh, you know, we could probably save our money for something more serious in their mind. Yeah. And then they're on the chopping block. Or if somebody is like in a coma and it's a black person, that they would just let that person go on the premise of that they're using up valuable resources. Yeah. And this is very anti Christian and that is one of the things that Von Galen was yeah. protesting about. Yeah. What else about, in your mind, is threatening to the Nazis about the Catholic Church? Um, it's like another organisation. So people either they want people to either believe in the Nazi Nazi Party or the political Catholic area. So the political Catholics, they could have their believers and they could teach them different things to what the Nazis want them to know. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've got a competing message. Yeah. Plus the, it's like one area that say Goebbels wouldn't be able to control as well, that we've looked at how Goebbels 
around the 1930s consolidates all the media. So not a film, no book, no song, no broadcast is being written without him giving it the approval. But then you have these private church sermons where it's They can't really control them. Yeah, it's completely uncensored. Yeah. So you need to slam that down because you can't have this trusted person like attacking the euthanasia policies, Mm. for example, as well as other things. Plus the um, mythology clashes as well. Yeah. So the Catholic Church, like a brief overview of that is that their view is that God created man, man has original sin, Jesus died for the sin. But the Nazis believe in the Aryan race and stuff, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like these people coming from Atlantis, that there is this chosen race and that doesn't feature in the Bible. So you've got these clashing messages that they're like one has to go and one has the use of an army. So (laughs) one's going to bend to the knee. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Thank you very much, Ethan. And thank you, listener, for joining in for this episode of looking at different groups that were affected by the Nazis. And we'll see you next time on the Modern History HSC podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Modern History HSC podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern History HSC podcast. And if you have the time, leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This allows us to attract more high-profile guests into the future. And finally, remember that truth are not merely facts, because facts alone can be manipulated either intentionally or unintentionally. Truth will only reveal itself when an individual undertakes an honest, thorough, and courageous investigation. We must restrain our intent to prove contemporary points and concerns and instead accept that we could be the exact people that we are studying and critiquing, This is true empathy and it is uncomfortable, but is necessary in the pursuit of truth. Thank you and we'll see you next time.